0: John chapter 17 verses 20 through 26. John 17 verses 20 through 26 and it reads I do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one just as you father are in me and I in you and I in them. This is God's Word.
1: Well, we're looking at John chapter 17, as we did last week, looking at this prayer of Jesus. And we continue, beginning in verse 20. And this last portion of John chapter 17 reminds us that membership has its privileges. Membership has its privileges. That is the tagline to an ad for an American Express credit card back in the late 80s and 90s. Now, don't ask me why I remember that, because I didn't have an American Express card. Back then, those cards were not easy to get. Maybe that's why I remember it, because I always wanted one. American Express was for the upper-class folks. Us mid- and low-class folks used Visa or nothing at all. (laughs) But back then, when you went into an establishment and you pulled out American Express card, people paid attention because membership had its privileges. you know what else has its privileges, beloved? And that is being a Christian. I know we don't often think of it in those terms, but there are benefits. There are blessed benefits to believing in Jesus this morning. What are these benefits, you ask? Well, I'm glad you asked. There are many. There are many benefits to believe it in Jesus. There is the pardon and the forgiveness of sin. Acts chapter 10 and verse 43, all the prophets testify, the Bible says about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. There's also justification. That is the idea of understanding that we are right with God, that we are in right standing with God, that when God sees us, He no longer sees an enemy, sees a friend. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 39, through Him everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. We have pardon from sin. We have justification. We have adoption of sons and and daughters. John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God we are now the children of God. And that is a blessed privilege. And since we are children of God, then we have the privilege of knowing that we will not be ashamed when we stand before our God. There's no shame in His presence. We are shame-free. Romans chapter 10 and verse 11, for the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame no shame, adoption as children, justification, forgiveness of our sins. We have light and understanding. John chapter 12 and verse 46, Jesus says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. We now have light. We now have understanding. We are no longer children of darkness. We are now children of the light because we believe in Jesus. We have peace and joy. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit spirit the world wakes up every day in search of these two elusive mates joy and peace and the bible says that you and i have them freely given to us every day because we believe in jesus These are just a few. These are just a few of the blessed and marvelous benefits and the privileges that come to those who believe and trust in Jesus Christ. Yet I want to suggest to you this morning that perhaps and maybe the most blessed benefit of all is that we have the intercession of Jesus on our behalf. The blessed benefit of believing in Jesus is now Jesus intercedes for us. That Jesus interceded for us and he, Jesus continues to intercede for us. If you believe in Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus prayed for you and Jesus is praying for you. And as we mentioned last week in, in John chapter 17, what we read there is that the one to whom the disciples prayed, prayed for the disciples. In Luke 11, what we have there, beginning of Luke 11, is commonly called the Lord's Prayer. It's our Lord's Prayer because it is the Lord's answer to His disciples when they put to Him the question or the request that the Lord would teach them how to pray. And in answer to their request, Jesus said, when you pray, say, Father… Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. This is the directive that our Lord gave to his disciples when they asked him if he would teach them how to pray. And therefore, we call this popular and well-known passage of Scripture the Lord's Prayer because it was the Lord's directive to his disciples on what prayer should look like but it was not the Lord's prayer in that it was the prayer that the Lord prayed. If you want the Lord's prayer in that understanding it to be the prayer that the Lord himself prayed when he prayed, then what you have in John chapter 17 is probably more accurately called the Lord's prayer. But this is what Jesus prayed when it was time for Jesus to pray. He prayed for the glory of God. We saw last week, he he prayed for the good of God's people. He prayed for you and me. But there are not many places in the Bible there are not many places in the Bible where you and I can say that we are directly mentioned. I know people, I know, I know we all like to read the Bible as if it was written to us, you know, but, but the fact of the matter is there are not many places in the Bible that you would open up and find that it was directly referring to you. Most of the Bible has us listening in on conversations between others. In the Gospels, we listen in as Jesus has conversations with his disciples and those he encountered along the way. In the Epistles, we listen in as Paul talks to the Ephesians, as he talks to the Corinthians, as he offers encouragements to the Philippians, as he instructs Timothy and Titus. We listen in as Peter speaks words of encouragement to the Christians who are dispersed because of the persecution. When we read our Bibles, understand that you and I are most of the time just listening in. But in John chapter 17, in verse 20, we witness something most remarkable. We are not just listening in, but we hear Jesus praying, and He mentions you. He mentions me. Jesus was praying for and about us. In offering this prayer to the Father and having already prayed for the 11 disciples who were with him. Jesus said in verse 20, I do not ask only, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their In theological theological discussions, beloved, the question is often asked, for, for whom did Christ die? Did he die for everyone without distinction, or did he die just for the elect? Did he die to save the whole world, or did he die just to save his people, his sheep? Well, we're not going to answer that question this morning, brothers and sisters, but the question that we are going to answer, I think is equally important and may give you some insight into answering the other question. And the question is, for whom did Jesus pray? For whom did Jesus pray? Well, in John chapter 17 and verse 1 through 5, the Bible tells us that Jesus prayed for himself. And then John chapter 17, 6 through 19, we saw last week that Jesus prayed for his 11 disciples that were with him. Then, John 17, 20 through 26, he prayed for us prayed for you, he prayed for me, he prayed for we, he prayed for us. As he said, those who will believe in me through their word. Those who would come to know and trust Jesus through the witness and testimony of those first 11 disciples. There's something interesting here when Jesus says this, beloved. When Jesus prays for those who would believe in him through the testimony and the lives of the original 11 disciples, Jesus is assuming and therefore assuring the success of the apostles in bearing witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is assuming and therefore assuring that the gospel will not die with the disciples. He is essentially guaranteeing their success. There will be those who will come to trust in me through the witness of these. And this is what Acts bears out, does it not? This is what Acts bears out. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, after after Peter preached the sermon at Pentecost, the Bible says, And so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Jesus prayed for them. Those 3,000 that were added on the day of Pentecost, Jesus in John chapter 17 had prayed for them. But the success didn't stop there, beloved. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 4, the Bible says, But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. The number began to grow and to grow through the witness and testimony of the disciples because of the prayer of Jesus. And they continue to do so, beloved, in Acts chapter 13, in verse 48, as the word began to spread, even out unto the Gentiles, even out unto the nations. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Believed in the testimony of Paul and the other disciples, and the church began growing, bringing in the nations. Because Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed for them. He prayed for Peter's, the fruit of Peter's sermon at Pentecost. He prayed that it would grow up to 5,000. He prayed for the ministry of Paul to the Gentiles as the nations begin to believe and trust in the word of the disciples. And Jesus had prophesied this earlier in John chapter 10. He had prophesied in John chapter 10 that there were more coming, where He says, "'And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also.' They will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. And now what was he doing? Now he was praying for those sheep. He was praying for those sheep that he prophesied would come. He was praying for that flock that he prophesied would be. And who are those sheep? Those sheep are you and me, beloved. Those sheep are us. Those sheep are all the saints from all the nations who would come to trust Jesus because Peter and John did. Who would come to believe in Jesus because Matthew and James and Paul and Silas did. You know what the great testimony of heaven is, beloved? The great testimony of heaven in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9, the great testimony of the grace of God in all eternity is the presence of disciples from every nation, tribe, and people gathered around the throne of God, giving praise and glory to the Lamb." You know why that is possible? You know why around the throne of God there will be people from every nation, disciples from every tongue, disciples from every tribe? It is not possible just because the apostles gave witness. It is possible because Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed. prayed. You know what, beloved? We'll be there. We'll be there. In that number, we'll be there because Jesus prayed. We'll be there because Jesus promised. In Matthew 16 and verse 18, he promised that he would build his church. And the church he promised to build is the church for which he prayed. That's us. That's us. Today, beloved, that is us. For whom did Jesus pray? He prayed for us. And like mama, Jesus prayed, had me on his mind, took the time to pray for me. And I'm so glad that he took the time. Jesus prayed for me. What did he pray for? The Bible says that he prayed for our oneness. Didn't he? He prayed for our oneness. Listen to him as he prayed. Verse 21 Speaking of those who would come to believe in him through the testimony of the disciples, he said, he prayed, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus prayed that his disciples, and as we said already, that's including you and me, would be one. That we would be one. Now, beloved, oneness in the Bible is a very important truth. It's a very important concept to understand. It is more than just unity. The Bible speaks of oneness. It is speaking of unity, but it is more than just unity. It is more than just being united for a cause. Being one is relationship, It it is dwelling together in shalom for the benefit of each other. It is the idea of being in relationship. That is mutually beneficial because there is the same desire, the same goal. And the goal is not the glory of the one, but the goal is the good and glory of the whole. And that's oneness. It's what the Bible speaks of when it speaks of oneness. This is the revelation of God. It's clear in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. The Bible says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Here is the revelation of the oneness of God God is one. There is oneness in God, there is this unity, this oneness in diversity. God is Trinity. That Trinity is a triunity. Three in one. God is one. The relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is a relationship for the glory of the one true God. Because God is one. This is also illustrated on human terms in the Bible. A marriage between a man and a woman is described as oneness. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and shall hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh there's this idea of oneness this relational unity where there is the goal not of the glory of the one person but the glory of and the good of the whole where well, they become unified as one and this is the fruitfulness of the believer as a result of his or her oneness with Jesus. That's what it means to be in union with Christ, to be one with him. Where it says in John chapter 15 and verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, that we bear fruit as we are one with Christ. What Galatians chapter 1 and verse 12 reminds us that we are one in Christ, verse 27 rather, that we are one in Christ and Christ is in us, bringing us into relationship, oneness with God. Here is the point. Christ in us, we in Christ, bringing us into oneness with God. Beloved, you do understand what sin did. Sin came and broke our oneness with God. That's what happened in the garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned, they broke that relationship, and it came became not about the glory of God, but it came about the glory of them. And oneness was broken. Christ comes to bring us back, to reconcile our union with God, to make us once again one with him. That's what the Bible says in, 1 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 and 19. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, making us one again through Christ, reconciling us to himself, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, bringing about again the oneness, the oneness that comes only through Christ, God sent Christ so that we might once again be one with Him. That's why the Bible says then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. You see how important this oneness is, beloved? From now on, when you read one, all this is going to come back to you. Believe me. For in one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, doesn't matter. We were all made to drink one Spirit, We are one in the Spirit. We are one in Christ. We are one in Christ. This is why Jesus prayed this, beloved. This is so critical. This is so critical to understanding our relationship with Jesus. It is so critical to understanding our relationship with the world that we understand that we are one in Christ. It is critical to our testimony to the world that we understand that we are one in Christ. There is a unity, beloved. Don't miss this. There is a unity in humanity, all humanity. There's a unity in all humanity because Every man and every woman is created in the image of God. Everyone. And therefore, everyone has dignity. Everyone has purpose. Because this is the unity of humanity. But not everyone is in Christ. And therefore, There may be a unity in humanity, but there is not a oneness. There is not a oneness because oneness is not rooted in the image. Oneness is rooted in Christ. Oneness is not rooted in image-bearing. Oneness is rooted in Christ. We are not one with the world. We are one with Jesus. We are one in Christ. In Christ, therefore, we have this one unity. This one unity. And yet that unity must not be mistaken, as it often is, for uniformity. It is not uniformity, beloved. We are in Christ. We are in Christ, but we are not all the same. Our oneness is not that I become like you. And this has often been... The mistake that people make is that in order for us to be one, I have to become like you. Or you have to become like me. The fact of the matter is, beloved, we will not all look the same. We will not all like the same things. We will not all vote for the same people. We will not all worship the same way. In other words, in other words, like in the world, in Christ there are distinctions. Did you hear what I said? Just like in the world, in Christ There are distinctions. The difference is that in Christ, our distinctions do not define us. Now, too often, beloved, too often, we let our distinctions define us. And we do that because that's what the world does. And it gives testimony to us being more like the world than being like Christ. When we allow our distinctions to define us. And in that we act and we think more like the world than we care to admit. This is the root of racism. This is the root of prejudices. This is the root of nationalism. Racism is boasting in the distinction of race. Nationalism is boasting in the distinction of your nation. And the world boasts in these distinctions because this is all the world has, and so this is all. This is what they're going to boast in. This is what they're going to hold on to, because this is all they have. All they have is Republican and Democrat. That's it. All they have is black and white. That's it. All they have is men and women. That's it. All they have is rich or poor. That's it. It says this is all they have. This is that in which they glory. This is where their identity is found. And since their identity is found in that, they have to defend it to the hilt. We have Christ. Our identity is in Him. Is there distinctions? Yes. But we don't glory in them. We glory in Christ. And you have to take my word for it. Listen to the Apostle Paul. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 4. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, if anybody else thinks that they have more reason to glory in the distinctions, he says, i put them all to shame. Listen to my credentials. Circumcised on the eighth day, a people of Israel, a real person of Israel, Marius, a real Hebrew. Paul says, I'm a real Hebrew Israelite. In regard to the law of Pharisees, As for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. In fact, I'll do you one better. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, and consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ." That's what Jesus prayed for. That's what Jesus prayed for. Beloved, distinctions are easily made. And therefore, they are easy to glory in. I am a black man, just in case you hadn't noticed. I am Reformed. And you can make no mistake about that. I am American, and I am glad to be it. But more important than any of these, beloved, is that I am in Christ. And therefore, I am one. I am one with men and women who are not black. I am one with those who are not Reformed. I am one with men and women who are not American. But if they are in Christ, then I am one with them because we are in Christ. And this is what Christ prayed for. This is what Christ prayed for. Not that we would disavow any type of distinctions so as to be a non-person, but that we would not glory in them, but that we would glory in Jesus so that our oneness would be manifested to the world. And why pray for oneness? Why would it be necessary for Jesus to pray for oneness? He prayed for oneness, beloved, because like trials and troubles in this world, Jesus knew divisions would come as well. It's the nature of sin. Because of sin, trouble is in this world. Because of sin, trials is in this world. And Jesus prayed, don't take them out of the world. Keep them through the troubles. Keep them through the trial. And he also prayed that we would be one because divisions come. Whether it's Peter being divided from Paul, whether it's Paul being divided from Barnabas, whether it's the Lutherans against the Anabaptists or the Anglicans against the Methodists or the Presbyterians against the Pentecostals and the Baptists just against everybody. (laughs) Yet all this division, beloved, does not discredit the prayer of Jesus. In fact, what it actually does is establish it establishes it because you see despite all the division that we often see and despite the division that we experience and we hear and we read about on a daily basis the reality is this the church redeemed by Christ the church headed for heaven is one it is one We are one because Christ died. We are one because Christ was raised. We are one because Christ prayed. We're one. We're one. And he he didn't just pray for us to be one. He prayed for us to be perfectly one. Perfectly one. And so therefore... He not only prayed for our oneness, he prayed for our perfection. Verse 23, he reminds us of that, that our unity or oneness is unto our perfection. Christ doesn't just pray that we would be one. He prayed that we would be perfectly one. The idea here of perfect, and this idea of perfection, is the understanding of complete, of that which has come to full maturity, a finished product. This is the oneness that the Father has with the Son, Christ reminds us, a complete, mature relationship, perfected. This is the unity of the Trinity. And Jesus' prayer is that we would be in him like he is in the Father. And how is he in the Father? He is perfectly related to the Father. Full, complete, mature, perfect relationship. And then he prays that we would be in him like he is in the Father. This is the unity, therefore. This is the oneness that we strive after. This is the unity and the oneness we seek when we seek to be like Jesus. This is the idea that our oneness, that our oneness is not you becoming more like me or me becoming more like you. But our oneness is when each of us is becoming more like Christ. This is what Christ is praying. He's praying for our perfection, our perfection in oneness. And that perfection comes as we become more and more and more like Christ. And as we become more and more like Christ, guess what happens? We become more and more one. The closer we get to Christ, the closer we become to each other. The goal of our instruction then and the goal of our Lord's prayer ultimately is that we would be like Him. That's the reason He came that he would redeem a people who would be like him. When Jesus prays for our perfection, he prays for us to be with him, doesn't he? He prays that we would be with him to be where he is. Why? Because perfection is ultimately in His presence. That's what it is. Father, He says. Father, He says in verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. His desire is for us to be perfect one with each other one with him and therefore his desire is for us to see him jesus wants you to see him what He wants. But in order to see Him, it takes perfection. The Bible says, Matthew chapter 5, and verse 8, there is a perfection, there is a purity of heart that is needed to see God. And while Jesus was on the earth, He walked with His disciples, and every now and then they got glimpses of that perfection every now and then they got a little window a peek into his glory that's what john says in john chapter 1 and verse 14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory the glory as the only son from the father we got a glimpse of it when he came and he dwelt among us it's what peter says In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. When John and James and Peter went upon the mount. Of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, and Jesus gave them a glimpse of who He truly is. they got a glimpse of that glory. There were glimpses every now and then of beloved, even the disciples never really, really saw Jesus. The promise and the prayer of Jesus is that we would see him. This is the promise. This is the prayer of our perfection. This is the hope of the apostles in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 12. The Bible says, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. This is the goal and the glory of every blood-bought believer, to see Jesus, it's a desire. This is the desire. This is the heart's desire of Christ for us. Did you hear that? This is Christ's desire. He prayed, Father, I desire that they would be with me, that they would see me. Now, beloved, what I desire is one thing. But what the Lord of glory desires is something all altogether different. In Psalm chapter 34, and Psalm 37, verse 4, the Bible says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Beloved, there has never been anyone who delighted himself more in God than Jesus. And would not God, therefore, give Jesus the desire of his heart? And what is the desire of his heart is that we would be with him. His desire is that we would see him. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, the Bible says, Beloved, we are God's children now, but what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him. Because Jesus prayed, Father, let them be with me so that they might see me. So that they might know my glory, not the glory of the Incarnation. Not the glory of the crucifixion, not the glory of the resurrection, but the glory of Christ before the foundations of the world. There is a glory that is yet to be revealed when we shall see. Him as He is, has always been. It is the glory and the oneness that He had with the Father before the worlds began. And that is the glory and the oneness that He is bringing us in. songwriter had it right, when they said, if I never walk upon those streets of pure gold, if I never sit beside the crystal sea, if I never see that mansion prepared to be my final home, I just want to see Jesus who died for me. Oh, how beautiful it will be to see that glory. The world has never known. Oh, I want to see him, the song says, to look upon his face, there to sing forever of his saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice and cares the past home and life ever, ever, ever to rejoice.